You are listening to WRIR 97.3 LPFM Richmond, and this is Open Source RVA. On the October 11th edition of Richmond's Audio News Digest, we celebrate the 6th annual Richmond Folk Festival happening this weekend. Joining us will be Folk Festival Programming Committee members Tim Timberlake, Greg Kimball, and Todd Ranson. We'll also speak to Style Weekly Senior Contributing Editor Edwin Slippick about the life and legacy of architect Charles M. Robinson, who gave the city and its schools a lasting architectural legacy. But first, here are some of the top stories making headlines right now. For Richmond Public Media, I'm Brittany Tracy, and here's the news. On Monday, October 14th, acclaimed cartoonist and illustrator Stephen R. Bissett will give a VCU-sponsored lecture at Grace Street Theater. Though best known for his participation in the inaugural 24-hour challenge, where artists make a 24-page comic book in one hectic day, Bissett draws for Taboo, 1963, Tyrant, and Saga of the Swamp Thing. He's also an author, recently contributing to The New Dead and The Prince of Stories, The Many Worlds of Neil Gaiman, an editor and publisher currently collaborating on Tales of the Uncanny, and an instructor at the Center for Cartoon Studies. The event is sponsored by VCU School of the Arts, the James Branch Cable Library, and the VCU College of Humanities and Sciences. It's free, open to the public, and will start at 7 p.m. Grace Street Theater is located at 934 West Grace. Bissett's work can be viewed at www.srbisette.com. I'm waking on a big I'm waking on a Perhaps no other man shaped the face of public education in Virginia and Richmond like Charles M. Robinson. Who was this amazing educator? A teacher? A principal? A superintendent? None of the above. A native of rural Virginia, Charles M. Robinson arrived in Richmond in 1906 after apprenticing with an architect in Pittsburgh. Within a short time, he'd established himself as one of the city's leading architects. And by 1910, he'd secured a relationship with Richmond Public Schools that would forever alter the landscape of the city. The first city school designed by Robinson, William Fox Elementary, opened in 1911. By the time of his death in 1932, he'd designed more than 40 buildings that have, in some cases, for more than a century, served as places of learning for the children of our city. But these are not just buildings. Robinson's school buildings, though plentiful, were all unique. Look around the city. East End School, today's Franklin Military Academy, is nothing like Patrick Henry Elementary, which is entirely different from the design of Binford, which bears little resemblance to perhaps his most famous building, Thomas Jefferson High School. Each is a testament to Robinson's skill and talent as an architect. Today, many of these buildings are threatened. This year's school's capital budget provided only about $750,000 for the maintenance of all Richmond school buildings. Some of his schools, like Robert E. Lee Elementary, have been sold over the years and converted to other uses. Others are even more immediately threatened. West Hampton School recently was leased to Bon Secours Health System, which plans likely include demolition of all or most of the building. 
I'm happy to be here with Edwin Sliffig. He's senior contributing editor and architecture critic at Style Weekly, and an adjunct um, excuse me, and an adjunct instructor of architectural history at Virginia Commonwealth University. And I'm looking much forward to my audio tour of Richmond Public Schools with, with Ed here. So welcome, Ed. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank <laughs> you, Chris. So we're talking today about uh, a guy who really, he, he gave Richmond something very interesting and, and, and sort of, a, again, as we were saying before the program, as I was saying before the program, an architectural portfolio that is, is wide-ranging. And it's all related to schools. He's just a, a neat guy, it seems like, Charles Robinson. Yes, uh, Char- Charles Robinson is one of a handful of architects who, for one reason or another, came to Richmond. And we are fortunate enough to have a major body of work by this three or four, uh, these three or four architects. Some of them are quite well known. William Lawrence Bottomley is an architect of the early 20th century here who produced some of our most beautiful private residences. Where, where would I find some of his work? You, well, you would find them on Monument Avenue. I, you I would find them in some of the uh, country house estates along the James River in the west end of the city. Uh, you would find them uh, scattered here and there. Uh, an architect by the name of Duncan Lee is another architect who has a wonderful body of residential work here in Richmond. His first project was the restoration of the governor's mansion in about 1905-1906. He has residences all over town, Monument Avenue. So in, that was that was his first project or his first major. That was project? his very first project. Really, not a, not a bad way to start. No, no kidding. Duncan That's a lot Lee, of trust to put Duncan in Duncan Lee that... at the executive <laughs> mansion. Not not too bad at all, and. I mentioned that, and I mentioned those two gentlemen architects, because they are fairly well known to Richmonders because they designed residences. And now, multi-generations of Richmonders have lived in those places, and they're still serving their occupants and their owners very, very well. Charles Robinson, another remarkable architect who, who lent his talents to the city in the early 20th century, built institutional buildings, and as you've mentioned, tremendous collection of schools, but it's not a name unless a school child happened to look at the plaque next to the front door, and it may not be there, or perhaps looked on a cornerstone of the building, and it may or may not be there. It, there may or may not be a cornerstone on, on the building. <laughs> and so how would, how would a Richmond school child know 50 years ago? indeed 100 years ago, or even yesterday, whether or not they were in a Charles Robinson building. It's but a the, Robinson. Right? But it's, it's, a, it's a Robinson, uh, because these are institutional buildings, and he has not yet been overly studied. He has not been given an exhibit. There have been no books on him, and yet I would really? dare say that hundreds of thousands of Richmonders, if not more, have been in contact with a Charles Robinson building one way or the other. He is best he will be best known when the name becomes more of a household word for his body of public schools that he designed here. And it's not just here, though, right? I mean, he's in Richmond, but I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking that there's never been a book written about this guy. He, he does, what was it, second phase of William & Mary? Yes. Um, he, Mary, is it Mary Washington? William & Mary, as we know it today, of course, the sunken garden is one of the landscape features around which William & Mary in the 19, 
30s sure. began a major expansion. He designed the campus from scratch at JMU, James Madison University, when it was uh, primarily a women's teacher's college. He designed the campus at Radford University. He designed the campus at Virginia State University. So this guy gets around. I mean, he's not just doing Richmond Public School. He's everywhere. Why is there no, not book? Only is he why every, is there no book on this Not guy? only is he <laughs> everywhere, he is also financially highly successful uh, with his work for education. In fact, to my thinking, he might be the first and only architect in Virginia history who became a millionaire on being an architect. Wow. Uh, uh, We might think about the era in which he was working. Uh, Robinson was born in 1867 uh, up in Loudoun County and then moved to Altoona, Pennsylvania as a young man where he apprenticed, which is more or less what you might have done back in the late 19th century. To become an architect? To become an architect. an apprentice system. Exactly. Interesting. When he was coming along, there uh, were virtually no architecture schools in America. You would have gone back to Europe or gone to Europe if you were able to afford to do so, to Paris, particularly to a place called the Ecole de Beaux-Arts. And some of America's leading um, architects, uh, principals of the firm of Carrere and Hastings, for instance, which designed the Jefferson Hotel here in Richmond, they had matriculated at the Ecole de Beaux-Arts. But again, this was a very uh, privilege that few people could afford. West Hampton is another one of his schools, and I guess that's sort of what we're talking about today is that while we do have this this sort of, uh, again, portfolio treasure from from this architect, again, as yet somewhat unrecognized, um, some of these buildings have been somewhat threatened or, in fact, divested from from that inventory or at least the control of RPS. They have. You, you bring up West Hampton school, which is at the corner of Patterson and Libby, mm-hmm. and it is in the, <laughs> colo- bas- basically, in the colonial, <laughs> basically in the colonial revival style. Uh, that building was designed for, at the time, the, today it's in the Richmond city limits, but at the time it was in Henrico County. Huh. So that was not designed for the city. It was- no, and we should make the point here that although there was an exclusive for Charles Robinson to design for the city of Richmond, he had dozens and not scores, if not hundreds, of other commissions in other parts of Virginia as well as, well as beyond. And, and Norfolk's got some of his stuff. Norfolk has some of his things, and he did a, a number of buildings in in Henrico County as well. Now, that building has been the focus of a lot of discussion in recent months because it is the site of a Bon Secours expansion of St. Mary's Hospital Campus. Mm-hmm. And there are perhaps a, a number of folks who are very concerned with whether or not uh, this centerpiece of the West Hampton neighborhood there uh, is going to be threatened by this expansion. And it begs a very good question. How do we as Richmonders or how do we as Virginians or how do we as Americans, how do we look on to these older school buildings? And is there, new, is, are, is there a future for them or um, is it, do they 
outlive their usefulness. So the building in Highland Park, though, that probably predated some of this tax credit stuff, right? What do we have there? What's left? Uh, that is, has been a little more done uh, or overdone, shall we say, a little overcooked perhaps. But again, uh, it, it it could be reversed. Uh, but again, these are these are generally speaking, the preservation credit program works very, very well. So might it be a, a good way of ensuring the long-term uh, survival of some of these buildings as they perhaps are taken offline as school buildings to seek to well, it's certainly the hands of developers. Well, it's absolutely certain because, of course, what you're doing is you're saving that anchor, you're saving that landmark, you're saving that rock in the middle of a neighborhood. And uh, if it is being repurposed as housing, generally it's going to be very well maintained. There's going to be pride of ownership, not just of individuals, but the collective group that is living. And, and condo associations can be. That's a crack the whip. Absolutely, absolutely. Come up. That's one of the toughest things in life to come up against a condo association. <laughs> if you ever have, it's, it's try not, one in traffic. It's that's, not. It's not able. fun. The the uh, thing, however, is I think in Richmond's case, since we have such, a, as you've said, such a wonderful and perhaps un, unique collection of of architectural gems by this master architect, that. The first step would probably be to do an inventory of the Charles Robinson buildings and indeed expand that to all of the historic properties that are in the portfolio of the Richmond Public Schools and begin to to decide which ones are uh, irreplaceable, which ones are in spectacular condition or medium condition or need a little bit of work, and begin to really figure out what we're working with here. This way, that if there are times at which a developer wants to come along and uh, perhaps nib- uh, make some inquiries in terms of, uh, of the availability of a piece of property that may be uh, mothballed, or perhaps if the school board is making a decision as to whether or not to close this school, to build a new school, to combine schools, whatever the question may be, that there is good information about whether or not uh, that building can be restored and updated for another hundred years. So in addition to all the other factors that we have to deal with in the city when we're looking to close a school building or to rezone or redistrict, maybe one of the things we should be looking at is the historical importance, significance of the building? Absolutely, absolutely. Again, it's it's not that Charles Robinson's name is on it, but it is the <laughs> fact of it is the fact of the artifact itself, if you will. It's the fact of the living building itself in that it has in each of these cases now are coming up on one a uh, one century of service. Uh, some of them have passed. And, and some of them have passed. And some are looking at, at 100 years in the rearview mirror. And so they are they are all good for another 100 years. Real quick, we should probably say happy birthday this year to the Baker Street Annex, Cary Main Building. Uh, who else is 2013, uh, 1913 here? Those are, our, those are our two big ones. Last year, we had a, a number of birthdays of these schools, and, and the following year, or actually 2015, it looks like, will be a big birthday year for a lot of these buildings. That's right. I know Benford, Benford. will be 100 years old in 1915. Ginter Park Elementary uh, will be 100 years Bainbridge, old. Bainbridge well. Main Building. Um, what else here? There's a, there's a whole pile of them. Fairmount Annex. Does that still exist? Ginter Park, like you said, Main Building. 
So it's big happy birthday time. Dunbar School. Where was that? You know that one? Oh, there's not familiar. <laughs> look from not across familiar, the table but that's says, what makes it a ball game. No idea what that is. And then Robert E. Lee School. When we get to that, that'll be 1916. That's 100 years old. Um, so you again, you taught in one of these older buildings. Again, not one of his buildings, but in a building that was redone, restored, used tax credits, used a lot of cooperation used a lot of community spirit to bring what was already sort of a spirit back to life in a building. Um, some of the criticism you hear of the idea of going back on these old buildings and, and renovating them is that they're not suited to modern education. Um, Maggie Walker, can you talk a little bit about what that's like inside? And, I mean, is it fitting for a modern education that well, well Chris as we as, as we as we mentioned earlier in our conversation Maggie Walker was opened in the 1930s in the midst of the Great Depression but Carneal and Johnston the architecture firm that designed Maggie Walker was building this building on the shoulders basically of dozens of Richmond schools that had already been designed and were up and running of, of, of the recent past at that time that had been designed by Charles Robinson. So Charles Robinson had absolutely established the bar so and a superb, a superb world-class bar for how to build public schools or schools in, in the Richmond area and throughout Virginia indeed. And so and very, very much Maggie Walker would be, as you would, the son or daughter of a Charles Robinson <laughs> building. And the number one thing I would say is that Charles Robinson didn't just th throw uh, buildings out easily, as, as, as it seems. It, it was so prolific. But he did major scientific studies of how students best studied, how they best kept their attention span. He was particularly interested in, the, in how natural light affected the uh, a student's uh, daily performance. And real quick, some of these schools have these amazing, uh, especially in the cafeterias, will have these these amazing windows, banks of windows that just let absolutely he, tons he, of light in. He felt that light was absolutely important. And there were, it sounds strange to us, some of us today, but then some of us have, have been educated in, um, tr in trailers because of overcrowding. And some <laughs> of us have gone through a generation of coming up in a school of modernism with perhaps clear story windows that are just up in the top of a room. And so we look at the sky. There are people, there are students who think that you no, will look out. No the, windows. That, well, I'm sorry. No windows in my high school. No windows. And, and that was a school <laughs> of thought. Two things. Number one, for security purposes. And number two, a lot of uh, educators think that students will look out the window and daydream. Now, my goodness, what should a child be doing but daydreaming? That's a wonderful <laughs> thing to be doing. The point is Charles Robinson's buildings give you a lot of chance to daydream and to think about the world that's beyond the school building. But your question, Maggie Walker is a building that has glorious light, glorious light-filled classrooms. So that's very, very important. Uh, there are also outdoor work and, and study areas at Maggie Walker, courtyard areas. That and these not were only, designed into the facility back in the 30s? Or? They were not designed in the 1930s. Uh, with the renovation in 2001, uh, Maggie Walker added outdoor study spaces and outdoor teaching spaces. But Charles Robinson put them on the roofs of some of his buildings. Really? Like yes, where? At Benford. 
would be a good example of that. So you can go, there's access to the roof for classes. You used to be able to go up on the on the roof for classes, Boy, for I nature wonder. observation, for classes, for recreation. It, it since during uh, the 1930s for budget cuts and with expansion, they enclosed that space. That's too bad. So the so-called roof garden is now gone. But <laughs> again, what a wonderful, what wonderfully innovative thing that he did there. Yeah. So, so, Light is very, very important, and uh, the good use of space. He always stacked his large public communal spaces uh, uh, in a very sensible way. He would generally put his cafeteria on the lower level of the structure, and almost every Charles Robinson building, and you see this again with Carnell and Johnston at the Maggie Walker Governor's School, right. the auditorium is uh, above it. On Typically the second, right above it. Right, right above it, exactly. And then he's, he's, I mean, his classrooms are huge, frankly. Many of the classrooms are... Classrooms are very ample. Charles Robinson buildings, remember, they were built in a time, as was Maggie Walker, of pre-air conditioning. And so they have high ceilings and, and they're... Wide hallways. Wide hallways, high ceilings, lots of windows, and quite often designed to catch breezes. Now, one of the things that is not so great about the Charles Robinson buildings necessarily uh, and... Uh, is not the best thing about Maggie Walker Governor's School is that uh, uh, <laughs> lifetime and recreational sports has changed tremendously since the beginning of the 20th century. And uh, it, it evolved after World War II into the idea where, especially with the baby boomer uh, generation, that participatory sports was an, it's always been a major part of education. But the idea of high school sports being a participatory and an, uh, 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 a spectator sport is something fairly new. So the Charles Robinson buildings and Maggie Walker were not designed with uh, gymnasia that were uh, amenable to bleachers and spectator amenities. So those, some of the buildings have had those added since, but yeah, I certainly know that you see a lot of that with these buildings. They've got these very tiny little myopic sort of... of, of uh, of gymnasium spaces is sometimes they're, they're two story. You can go up in the second story and there's like a little track up there or something, but they're very tiny, very tight. It was, it was uh, to be efficient, to be used for exercise, for submariners or something. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so that's, that's a challenge with these buildings and that's something that will have to be worked on. Okay. Well, thank you again, Ed Slipik for being with us today. Um, Ed Slipik again is, uh, he's the, uh, let me get this right. Senior contributing editor and architectural critic at style weekly. And he's also adjunct instructor of architectural history at Virginia Commonwealth University. And lastly, we should mention that he taught for a long time at Maggie Walker, one of the buildings that is in no way a Charles Robinson building, but in many ways is an echo of Charles Robinson's legacy. Broadcast of WRIR is made possible in part by Rostov's Coffee and Tea, 1618 West Main Street, now featuring home delivery everywhere in the city. Details on the web at rostovs.com. And support for WRIR also comes from the Farmer's Market at St. Stephen's Church, providing weekly access to locally grown and prepared foods from more than 40 farmers and vendors. 
The Farmer's Market at St. Stephen's every Saturday, 8 to noon, at the corner of Grove Avenue and Three Chapped Road. Information at stephensrichmond.net. I'm Don Harrison, and you're listening to the music of Lurie Bell, a legendary Chicago blues guitarist who will be among the dozens of acts featured at the 6th Annual Richmond Folk Festival. The festival will begin in just a few hours on stages situated along the downtown waterfront. The energetic polka of the Alex Meixner Band will kick things off at 6.30 on the Altria stage. The annual mid-October festival, which continues through Sunday, has broken attendance records in recent years eclipsing even the popularity of its parent event, the National Folk Festival. And this year's edition looks like a typically full-to-bursting display of international talent, with everything from the traditional music of Newfoundland to Peruvian dance to an all-star lineup of go-go greats paying tribute to the late Chuck Brown. To help us navigate the dizzying number of attractions scheduled this year, I'm joined by Dr. Greg Kimball from the Library of Virginia, my Richmond Music History Tour partner. We're trying to make him a regular up here. We've also got local writer, promoter, and WDCE DJ Todd Ranson. And last but not least, Mr. Tim Timberlake, radio and voiceover legend, promoter, and the co-founder of Jam Inc., which, among other things, helps to bring festival performers to local schools while they're here. All three of these gentlemen sit on the folk festival's programming committee, and it should be said in the interest of full disclosure that I do, too. Mm-hmm. So this conversation is going to be totally inside baseball. <laughs> Guys, thanks for coming. Thank, Thank you. you. First we... of all, I'm, I, let me just say that I'm sick that I missed your, I was out of town for your uh, your tour, your bus, musical oh. bus tour, and how did that go? I want well, to do all that. All I did was, you know, just follow Greg Kimball's lead. That's oh, all I did. We had a lot, we had a lot it, of fun. It was fun. a great group. A lot of fun. Yeah, people seemed to really did. Just, I'm well, that's, the thing that's about, another, another story. That's I the guess, thing but. about the tour is that uh, you could uh, yeah. change it up every year, really. Yeah. You know? Enough, yeah, and and some artists who were definitely inspired by the Folk Festival. Right. Maggie Ingram, for instance, right. will be back mm. at the Folk Festival this year and talked about her at the mosque where she was one of her early big performances here in Richmond. That's so. right. And she's really? going to be on the Virginia Folk Life stage again. Yep. Yeah. But she's a treasure. Well, are we excited oh, yeah. about this year's uh, festival? Not at all. No. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I am too. But, but I kind of note that there aren't as many big names, I guess, or known quantities. People were mentioning that to me last night. I was out at the Shuggy Otis show, and uh, I, I was trying to point out that the, the Roseanne Cash show last year, which I guess people would call a big name, mm-hmm. was kind of uh, just fell into place yeah. uh, through kind of fell on our happy yeah. accident and because really. she was coming anyway to do for her charity, mm-hmm. the Richmond Base, which I forget the name of it. I, I'm sorry, oh, but saw, yeah, but yeah, she yeah, came to to be in support of that, and it just sort of yeah, because we don't we generally look for yeah, we did not actively seek out Roseanne mm-hmm. Cash commercial the, names necessarily, and, and, I, and I would have to say that added ten or. 12,000 people to the sure. to the mix yeah. last year alone. Yeah, but you had Ralph Stanley, too. I mean, sure. yeah, yeah. you know, I guess that there are more cult artists this year. Uh, people well, like Don Carlos or... Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, that's really the forte of the Folk Festival. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we... 
nothing against any of those artists we just named, but even for me, who I who I think I'm supposed to know a lot about traditional music, uh, there's always something there that just boggles my mind that mm-hmm. I've never even heard of. So, I mean, I think it's that discovery that really drives right. me. And, there's and, always that Chinese Jew harp player, right? Yeah, or the, you know, the, the we have, of course, back this year, the uh, the throat singing. Right. You know, the first time we heard that at the folk fest was just absolutely uh, and it's amazing. definitely been the most talked about genre, if you will, whether it's Inuit, whether it's, you know, Native American yeah. or North American throat singing or from Tuvo, which is where they are from this year, right. Alash. It, it, that ability to create two or three tones with one throat, one voice and make this hypnotic, ethereal sound that it just it, it sweeps people away, takes you to another right, place. And right. that. But th- that's just one of the things. But again, you're right, discovery. That's the word you use, Greg. It's like there is so much here that we, most of us, even those of us who were on the program committee, that we've heard a lot of music in mm-hmm. the various areas that we're kind of familiar with, still there's so much out there in oh, this absolutely. great world that, that we don't know about and we get introduced to, and that's what the festival does so well is to let Richmond know what's there and it's fa- and it's fantastic it's a it's a wonderful educational and uh, entertainment right com- right combination thing yeah it's great well before we talk about this year's festival let's do a little post uh, postmortem on last year's uh, event which had a number of hard to forget uh, performers like Joshua Nelson the uh, Jewish gospel artist the uh, super chicken johnson oh, yeah. uh-huh. uh, like i said wang lee the chinese uh, jaw harp uh, player uh-huh. uh, finbecca it was just a, a wonderful festival. Uh, uh, what's what, what kind of uh, stuck with you from last year? It's hard to put my, my finger on one particular one. The uh, the band that we took to one of the school performances, I took to one T-Coca. of the school performances, T-Coca. And you, you helped me with that, okay. didn't you, Todd? Uh-huh. To, to some of the, any of these groups that, that you hear that have this wonderful joie de vivre, that they're so amazingly mm-hmm. enthused about what they do, and they don't typically speak a lot of English, but they don't need to. It's yeah. just this music comes across and the great percussive nature of what he brought. Mm-hmm. And we took them to two different schools, I think, right, Todd? And, and, right. and just to see these kids relating to that and this universal language mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that music is, to, to me, that, I mean, that, again, working with the school outreach part of it, it, it's just so cool to see the reaction that, that you get from these artists that, that these kids have never heard anything or seen anything like this. Right, and you're doing that again this year. What, yeah. gr- what groups are hitting the schools this year? Well, we have six artists that are going to schools this year um, that represent a pretty good wide swath of, of uh, including Alash, the throat singers oh, that we wow. mentioned. Ooh. We're taking them to uh, <laughs> Maggie Walker Governor's School to the Russian class there, which is perfect. Mm-hmm. They have uh, actually Russian language class. That, and we're earlier in the day, we're going to St. Christopher's with them. Uh, we're also taking uh, Jesse Leger and uh, Joel Savoy, uh, yeah. who are, uh, you know, C- Cajun. Cajun musicians, uh, really wonderful tr- from that tradition. We're taking them to the Faison School for Autism. Oh, wow. And uh, at, at Ticoco, we took them. Uh, no, that wasn't where. That, we did go to yeah, Faison. Ticoco we went, went there, too. Yeah, that's where we went in, uh, in Oregon Hill. Exactly. Uh, Thomas Smallpan in uh, Overall Creek, the the, mm. the buck dancer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, taking him to uh, Douglas Freeman. We're taking um, taking the Dardanelles, 
and oh, yeah. I'm sure you know about This is the first time they've ever done a folk festival, I'm told. I think this Any is folk the, festival? That's, that's what I think wow. that we saw that on their website or something like that, that this is a kind of a new experience for them, which is hard to imagine, but they're, they're fantastic. They're going to go to uh, Henrico High and Collegiate, and then we have Alex Meissner going around. Tell them about Alex, because he's, he's some kind of special... Uh, is he, he's the, uh, the his father the, or grandfather? He's the accordionist who's a kind of a, his father, but he's a, we'll a third a new generation wave new we wave polka, polka guy. Yeah. yeah, but it, but I mean a rock star kind of a polka. Yeah, guy. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Young, definitely aggressive, cool-looking guy, like you wouldn't expect. This yeah. isn't your SCTV Schwin Schwingy. <laughs> no, he's not your Myron Florin or you're not your uh, <laughs> the I, Lawrence Welk kind of. I kind of got that vibe from Alash. Looking at the Alash, the uh, Tuvan throat singers, yeah. uh, uh, they they they're striking sort of a vibe that says we're bringing the throat singing. Yeah, I mean, they definitely, the attitudes, that's what's so beautiful about all this. And our, our, just, our last artist, I don't want to leave Elizabeth, Elizabeth Laprell out because she's mm-hmm, been mm-hmm. here in the folk life area. People have seen her at Floyd Fest and John Loman's porch. And uh, Elizabeth <laughs> Laprell is, is, like, is like a female Ralph Stanley, but much younger, mm-hmm. like half Ralph's age, but this incredible mountain pure soul. And she sings with, uh, with Anna... Roberts Javolt. Is that how I say, am I saying that right, Greg? Um, Closer than I would be. <laughs> they're, the two of them are uh, going to be singing, you know, pure mountain music, but they have this little uh, show and tell thing called a cranky where they create these scroll pieces of art that, uh, that, that are in a box mm-hmm. and they crank, turn to crank, and, the, and they tell the story of what has been painted right. as part of their prep for this performance with help from the kids, too, maybe, oh, wow. um, as part of this. So, anyway, so that's got to leave of, an impression on kids. I'm yeah, it, this is such a wide thing, and to be able to take these things, uh, these artists to the schools and let them see them up close, because, you know, frankly, they should all be coming to the festival since it's free. But reality yeah. is that they won't, and right. so but they'll get a, a good taste of it anyway. Mm-hmm. So, what, what do you remember, Greg, uh, about uh, last, from last year? year? Yeah, last year. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I got to do was to host a vocal workshop, and that was really, you know, those are the workshops are always fascinating. Yeah, and they kind of get passed by sometimes. They do, but they boy, don't... the people who go to them realize what a mm-hmm. wonderful experience they are because you've got all of these people who from all these different cultures. But in the case last year, I was doing the vocal workshop. And, you know, there are commonalities. For instance, I had a Hawaiian musician. And if any of you heard Hawaiian vocals, the traditional vocals, it has this, this kind of high falsetto part to it. Mm-hmm. Well, he's sitting next to a bluegrass singer <laughs> who also yeah. has that, you know, so you get these really interesting exchanges between the artists. And I think that's one of the things that re- always leaves an impression on me. The magic really can happen in those. And, in fact, there is another vocal one I was looking at on the program this year that I think is going to another be vo- a vocal, vocal uh, workshop, workshop yeah. that, that really is. Typically those are at the M, uh, Mead West Vaco stage, I believe. That's um, right. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, Christine Salem, who I don't think any of us have seen because no, she no. she's from the Reunion Islands. Yeah, I think that's going to be one of those <laughs> yeah. crazy ones yeah. that might just blow us away. Yeah, a sleeper. I, There's always a sleeper. I think so, and I can't wait to hear her sing and again interact with all these other fabulous uh, singers like the t- like the uh, like Alash. So. You know, that's that's oh, one of the things that I've that. Yeah. yeah, like a mashup. Okay. Um, Todd, what do you think? Well, uh, last year, 
I'm going to keep it here in RVA uh, on John Lohman's Folk Life stage last year. The, the uh, Ingramets, Maggie Ingram and uh, Ingramets uh, performance was. Uh, oh my gosh! I was, uh, you know, I was. I was, I was pulled tears, up uh, from the crowd were... to dance with them, and uh, oh, I uh, That's was, right. was I saw, that's so right. honored to do so. I was, <laughs> uh, I was crying tears of joy. It was, it was awesome. I mean, and. Uh, you know, Maggie's health isn't the greatest and, um, and the fact that she can still bring it, talking mm -hmm. about bringing it and then yeah. with her daughters and everything, that was yeah. really, really special. I, I gotta say, if, if someone was first coming to this festival this year, I know you kind of wanted to talk about last year, but if I would almost say, you know, this is almost blasphemous, but if you just camped out at the folk life stage all weekend long, yeah, yeah. you would get a, an incredible, array uh, mm -hmm. that mostly Virginia artists but just an incredible array of diverse acts that would kind of blow your mind if you had to just stay one pick yeah. one stage to stay that would be no I, I I agree I mean as much as there <clears throat> is going on beyond that but I mean there John Loman does such a great job and this year the theme is uh, kinfolk family mm -hmm. traditions mm -hmm. and pretty much everybody who's performing including the Ingramettes and the yeah. Holmes brothers the Holmes and the Moore brothers, brothers and the, the Snyder family which is this young little bluegrass trio with a dad and his son and his daughter both of whom are amazing instrumentalists as teenagers. Mm -hmm. Just all these family things that are happening at the uh, at the folk life stage this year. Yeah. So you, like you say, you can park yourself there. Yeah, you'll miss a lot, but you'll 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 be happy. You'll gain and, much, but you'll miss. And lot. you'll miss some exercise. But it's it, John Loman is he does such an amazing job of pulling different things together to that folk life stage. And, and we, we should give a shout out to the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities. Yeah. Because, Absolutely. Because they, yeah, yeah, they we, he's John. He's the state folklorist he, and works for them. Exactly. Yeah. And right. and that he is, I mean, that pro, that program was really morbid like oh, 10 years ago. Right, right. And when he, he came to Virginia, he just oh, took. his apprenticeship took uh, program. Master Apprentice is, Program. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, the I book mean, he they, wrote on that, yeah. the apprentice, the coffee table book is just brilliant. Well, uh, I mean, Greg, yeah. talk about the uh, uh, the challenge of, uh, of putting that folk life stage together. You did it. I, um, I did the folk life area. In fact, it was the second year of the national. Mm -hmm. I did a labor theme, and it is a challenge, um, although – we're, it is Virginia, so mm -hmm. we have great artists. I mean, yeah, the, we, we sh the, the great thing is you do come to appreciate and and think about kinds of artists you never would imagine come from Virginia. You know, um, Flora Yagoda, for instance. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. Sephardic oh. music from from Bosnia. <laughs> just the most lovely sounds uh, you know, you hear, you know. I, I, it just expands your mind about what Virginia does hold culturally. Mm -hmm. um, it was incredible fun, you know, going yeah. across the state and finding people who build boats and which and we should mention that too because yeah, it's, it's not just music. There's a whole folk life area mm -hmm. to explore. Curing as well. hams, building split oak baskets, yeah. pinstriping hot rods, Mo moonshine uh, still, moonshining. Moonshine they'll bring moonshiners yeah. will be back this year. The rice again. sculpture or the rice. Uh, oh yeah, the, with the, mm -hmm. right. Uh, the uh, big throwdowns with the with the uh, oyster shuckers. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The sisters, and this year we have the carousel. Is it? What's the the claim to? Fame, the oldest it's, working carousel yeah. mm -hmm. on the East Coast or in the country? Something I think like, it's the country, isn't it? It may be. It's, it's huge and it's elaborate, and that's going to be a, a major attraction. Now, that's going to be in the kids' area. It's going to be down, I think, in the in the brick terrace area down in the lower part Tred of Predator. Oh, I think yeah, that's sort of where it needs a lot of good flat space. So I'm pretty sure that's where it's going to be. But you won't miss it. I'm sure you won't. There's no way of. Yeah. And but, I got to, yeah. anyone who's listening, bring your boots, bring your mud boots, yeah. your clam diggers, <laughs> whatever. It's going to be. Nice. And I'm not saying. Another it, folk it, festival tip well, from I'm just, Todd Renz. Well, I'm just saying that regardless of whether it rains or not, the ground will be saturated. So bring out all your good uh, rain boots and. Uh, 
mucklucks and stuff. It's going to be uh, yeah. And be fun. prepared to walk around some because it is. It's a big campus and there are hills involved and. You'll have to be patient because some there will be a few lines. If we have anything mm-hmm. close to the the crowds that we've had in the right. past years, you know it's going to be some some logistical stuff that may not be perfect. But the cool thing uh, it seems that everybody is in a good mood, even if they have had to wait a long mm-hmm. time to get mm-hmm. from one place to another, mm-hmm. even if they have had to wait a long time in the beer line or whatever. People are are all in a wonderful communal sort of a, a yeah. spirit that uh, this festival brings out in them, and it's fantastic. Well, uh, the uh, okay, the 2013 festivals before us. Let's start with you, Tim. We, you you have someone in front of you with a schedule of, of events in their hands and a puzzled look on no, their face. No. See, what should is... they not <laughs> miss at this year's Richmond Folk Festival? <clears throat> all right, well, we can't since, do it all. Since I on the on the f- committee, I sort of have to sit with the. Uh, I, I sit in the bluegrass chair, I guess, just because <laughs> I've been hanging around those it's the most for a long chair, time. Uh, this uh, it is a comfortable chair, uh, but uh, this year our bluegrass entry into the mix is uh, the great James King, who is a Virginian yes. from Martinsville. He is uh, the storyteller. He has this rich baritone voice, and his writing is again very evocative, and he tells these wonderful life stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the the room by the bed. I'm trying to think of this one song. that's one of his most famous tunes, but he's got a new new album out that's way high. He's on Rounder Records, which is one of the great indie labels out there, and his new album Three Chords and the Truth. Yeah, he's is, never really uh, broken out into the mainstream, no. and that's basically because he's kept it very traditional. Yes. He, and uh, that's who typically we look for here mm-hmm. at this festival. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of really amazing maybe slicker yeah. uh, bluegrass groups, and I won't get into starting to name them, but that may be more familiar or yeah. more commercially successful. But, but this is music that will stir you. Oh, James is, you know, he's the real, he's, he's a soulful fellow and uh, in every way. So he's great. Um, and to go on another, to take a, a quantum leap to the Chuck Brown Tribute Band, everybody, oh we've done so well with Go-Go yeah, here, yeah. that DC brand of exciting, you know, R&B, funk-based mm-hmm. music. That uh, that Chuck Brown, of course, is but this is special. Singer, but he's gone because he. But all the people who played with him are are coming back to yeah. to to fet him uh, on. I think it's just on Saturday. I think it's just a one or two performances on Saturday for Chuck, for his for the tribute band. So you got that uh, the Brotherhood Singers. If you love, you mm-hmm. talking about Maggie Maggie Ingram. I'm excited from, about from from Kentucky. Right? I've heard, yeah, I've heard their album or one of them anyway. And uh, I just um, you talking about crying tears of joy, Todd. Mm-hmm. I'm <laughs> when I hear that kind of uh, of, of testimony, mm-hmm. that vocal harmonic testimony that these guys can generate that that kills me i've got a lump thinking about them yeah they're right, and, and greg they're, they're right there in the vocal quartet they, in, that, in that great vocal quartet tradition yeah. of course virginia is so rich in and i actually got a chance to see them at the library of congress awesome. and they just blew me away they wow. are i totally recommend them they're absolutely yeah who, uh, so, I mean, yeah y'all going on yeah who, who, who do you uh, well who do you like greg for me um there's a couple things that I highly anticipate that I don't know the music, and that's why I'm excited mm-hmm, to see mm-hmm. it. And one of, uh, certainly we mentioned earlier Christine Salam, which, right. you know, we heard these great recordings. It just sounds like what an amazing voice, an amazing synthesis. Mm-hmm. You know, these islands unique, are in a strange synthesis. kind of geographical place between Africa and Asia and have both those influences. And likewise, and I'm probably going to completely, see if I can find it here on my schedule here, I'll probably completely miss 
pronounce it, but I think it's Garufana, which is a style yeah. that comes off of the right. east uh, east coast of Central America, Belize. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, Honduras and Nicaragua. And, and Nicaragua as well. Um, uh, that looks, you know, it just strikes me that that's going to be a really interesting thing. In terms of things that um, I'm familiar with, and I'll give a shout-out to my friend Ron Curry, who kind of really recommended that mm. I throw this in the mix, was Thomas Maupin, mm-hmm. yeah. in that he saw him, he was actually judging a festival down in Alabama. Talk, talk a little bit about Maupin. Well, uh, he's this, like, he, I don't, you know, I can't he's even... 80-something. 80-something. He's, yeah. he's a buck dancer, and yeah. important to recognize, this is not what you, uh, typical mountain dancing, it's not flat-footing. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks very, or very different, or clogging yeah. at all. Very, very different kind of style of dancing, I find it to be almost kind of elegant, you know. Um, at any rate, this guy's won like every, I don't know, eight, eight-time eight Tennessee ch- you know, champion of this buck dancing style. And um, um, I, I'm just, again, I haven't seen him live, so I'm just right, very much right. anticipate. They're all, you know, that's what I really, really like is uh, I know I'm going to run into something that I didn't even right. anticipate. Had no idea about. Like the Del uh, Corto Tango Quartet from last oh, year. Right. Just absolutely floored me. And, uh, you know, I didn't really get that from the recordings that I'd heard previously. Uh, Todd, what are you looking forward to? Well, um, I'm a little bit biased. I'm going to be uh, hosting the Stooges Brass Band this weekend oh, um, okay. from New Orleans, uh, uh, Louisiana. And, of course, they do the great classic street parade-style mm-hmm. uh, New Orleans brass band music. Um, they rock in their own sort of way, and uh, <laughs> it's um, it, it's going to be really good. I've got to also say I got Don Carl. I have a sneaking suspicion mm-hmm. that Don Carlos is going to be awesome. I, I hope I, I'm – that bears itself out. But Don Carlos was the founder of Black Uhuru. And right. uh, he, he did leave shortly after the founding of the band. I think he was on the first record and then moved on now, down the road. Now, he's not a big name, but if you know reggae, you know Don Carlos. Absolutely. And also, his style is very mellow style of singing. He's very much like um, a Gregory Isaacs sound. Um, very, very... Um, kind of an upper tenor level and very relaxing. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I read a review of his music one time where it said, um, don't let the relaxed vocals fool you because it, it's, it's, it's just a really nice type of reggae. And, and uh, he's bringing, I think he's got a horn section. He's got the real deal backing band. So um, I think that should be really good. Um, also, probably <clears throat> one of my must-sees of the weekend is going to be the return of the Holmes Brothers um, on the mm. full yes. live stage. On, they, they close out the Chesapeake's weekend. Chesapeake's own Holmes Yes, right. they yes. live down in Christchurch, Virginia, oh, okay. uh, over there, yeah. sort of the... Near Middle the, Peninsula? Middle Peninsula, yeah. near, kind of beginning of the Northern Neck area. Um, and uh, they, uh, they they played, I guess it was the National, maybe the second mm-hmm. or third And, and year. there was an incident, okay. uh, right? Well, uh, not, I mean, you know, uh, Sherman, the, the uh, bass player... Uh, I think he's a baseball. He uh, he had an allergy attack. Oh, okay. All we right. won't have that problem this year. With I don't <laughs> think so. With this, hopefully not. Nature's wet down here, but uh, <laughs> um, but they um, they're they're uh, gospel and soul and funk and they and uh and they're only playing once and it's it's in the final set on on, on Sunday the folk, evening. Virginia folk life stage. Exactly. Yeah. So that I think that's going to be a magical. I'm 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 there. I've already made arrangements I'm right. there for that. And 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 they're. Uh, they're they're just wonderful. Uh, they'll try anything. And I think they're, something. What, that, what was their cover of the Cheap Trick song? Oh, I want you. to Yeah, it was yeah. like they totally oh, wow. transformed that and song and made it into a gospel song, yeah, sort of like yeah. a you know a person perhaps speaking to their to the Lord or something like that. Um, I think something that might freak everyone out is uh, in a good way is the chonkas, the Peruvian mm. scissor dancers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg, you probably know a little bit a more about that. A lot of spectacle on that. Maybe we'll bring, yeah, they'll bring a lot of pageantry. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, as will the Red Trouser Show coming to the family stage. I don't know whether you've seen the video on those guys, but uh, they were some people I had to find hosts for that I did. They were kind of added in later. But these are two guys who get out and do serious acrobatic juggling feats of defying gravity out in the crowd. And it's going to be, I mean, I, the video is just <clears throat> unbelievable. Just they're kind of, they're really sophisticated street entertainers, incredibly talented. The kids are, the families. I'm a sucker for stuff like that. Guys mm -hmm. that like balance. Oh, what was the Punch and Judy show uh, we had? Uh, well, uh, that was the puppet. Yeah, that was a really big uh, hit for. The, there's a lot of stuff up in the family area. Absolutely, that I was going to say. And is Jam Inc. doing? Uh, yeah, we we get a shot at putting four different acts each year into the family area, the Genworth Family Stage, which is kind of between the University of Richmond. Uh, anyway, you'll look at the map. You'll find it. I'll tell you where it is. But it's it's an area where uh, typically it's devoted to acts for the family. So we've got Richmond's kind of a kids band called Silly Bus. Very talented, very entertaining. Mm -hmm. We have uh, Andrew Ali, who is an amazing VCU product. He's a oh, blues really? harp yes. player. Mm -hmm. He was on uh, on the TV this past morning on Channel 6. And just He was there last year. He's doing a harmonica workshop. We're giving away 100 harmonicas. And kids can get up there and kind of learn how to play, and Andrew will show them what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, we have the uh, Hot Seats, minus one. Josh Behrman's bunch, it'll be the Hot Seats Short Band. They're playing up there Sunday. WRIR -R Zone, Josh Behrman. Exactly. Tuesdays from 7 to 9 with Otto, right? I mean, that, isn't mm -hmm. that when they're yep. on? Um, and then uh, one more act up there is going to be... Samson uh, Trent? Samson Trent. How could I forget? The uke and roll. Mm -hmm. Samson's going to be bringing a whole bunch of uke players, some of them involved in Spark and this big live art thing, which is the subject yeah, for another bring, show. He's now, been bringing the ukulele to yeah, schools. Yes. He has. And so Samson's going to have ambassador. his uke, and they're going to be uh, showing kids how to play the uke and have a lot of them to hand out for kids to learn to play and stuff. So um, all that's happening, uh, part of our Jam Inc. thing. And um, so, yeah, we're very excited about that as we, uh, well. It's going to be great. We, we are running out of time, and we haven't oh. talked about so much. The Prusinowski Trio from Central Poland. Yeah. Playing lively village music, the Marshall Ford Swing Band. I saw them in Lowell, and they're fabulous. And by the way, Johnny Gimbel's daughter Gra is in yeah, that band. Granddaughter, right? Yeah, granddaughter. Right? <laughs> yeah, granddaughter. Yeah, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, you're yeah, talking right. about the Stooges, and you're talking about the the Marshall Ford Band, and you're talking. There's all these young, like Alex Meisner, all these younger generation mm -hmm. steeped in tradition. They come through it all that they're continuing yeah. them on and putting their own yeah. contemporary spin on it is really exciting. It, it is. Like, and know. I got a chance to see Natalie Perez too, who is the Fado singer. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. And, and, uh, and again, a very young woman uh, born in this Portuguese household in, in New Jersey, mm -hmm. but now has gotten incredible acclaim, has performed in Lisbon. I mean, she's really at the top of her game of a style we've never, ever had at the Folk Festival. Right, and so, she'll be there this year. Yes. So great. Yeah, One thing quickly, uh, we, uh, Greg mentioned Aurelio. And uh, mm -hmm. it, Aurelio, again, the Garifuna music is very, if you are if you like reggae, the laid, super laid-back, mellow style of reggae, mm -hmm. I, I almost, it's not even fair to call it that. Of course, it's its own genre. But um, Aurelio is, is sensational. It's going gonna, it's gonna, to, I mean, he's going to have a full band. And he's going to blow people away. I think I think younger younger folks are really going to enjoy mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Everyone really, but Aurelio is mark that on your calendar. On your uh, it should your, be a great time. Aurelio, really uh, but are, are we uh, are we uh, nervous about the weather? No, no, no. whatever. Because you know, our, 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 hey, this you this, know, this thing has grown. People people will come out no matter what. I mean, yeah. I think I, so too. I, yeah, I'm not I, worried. I think the 
I also, we, we talked about this a little bit before we went on air here, but I mean, we've had, it's nine years we've had this event and it's only rained once before. Mm-hmm. So, the first year, yeah. Yeah, first, the very first yeah, year. So I, and I don't even actually think it's going to be raining. I think it's just going to be cloudy. And we're always used to this absolutely pristine, beautiful weather. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it might, it just might not happen. But I have a feeling maybe Sunday we might get a little Mr. Sun mm, coming. Weather around. forecast. But again, just, just a little story in terms of the commitment of people. One of the last conversations I had at the library today was one of our other staff members, and I said, you'll be at the Folk Festival. She said, of course I will be. And my sister's flying in from New Orleans to to be there. So, okay, so believe me, the people who know this festival, they're going to be there whether it's raining or not. It's the big New Orleans Blues Festival this weekend as well in New Orleans, so to leave that and come here is... well, I think what it's what it's done in, in this in the nine years as you're talking, this is three years of the national, six years. This is our sixth as the Richmond Folk Festival. It has grown to kind of we've we've gained the dismissal of the stereotype of folk music mm-hmm. that many people in the early we've years thought trust. folk music. People Festivals now understand, trust. yeah, and understand what folk music is, mm-hmm. the indigenous music of cultures from all over the world, and they get it. And you look at the crowds now, the crowds reflect the diversity of our city, mm-hmm. and, and and so do the artists as well. You know, it's just a, it's a wonderful thing that's happened to our city that's defied what the cynics would have said at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think we all have a lot to be proud of, and a lot of us have a lot to be gained by coming down and, and taking it in, if you haven't already, and find out what all this is about. I'm going to buy that fantastic. lady from New Orleans a beer. Yeah, really. <laughs> I know. Speaking of the city, just want to mention real quickly two events uh, where the city's kind of uh, starting is embracing the folk fest. Um, one at Balasso Friday night after awesome. you get your That's folk right. fest on. Tonight, there's uh, g- going out to uh, yeah, There'll be an Afropop dance night at uh, Balasso for um, after party, uh, folk festival after party. And then uh, just downstairs from us at the Camel uh, Friday night, uh, Bio Richmond's own great salsa band, Bio Ritmo, will be playing. And if you have a Bucket Brigade sticker mm-hmm. or a student ID, uh, you'll get into that show at oh, a discount, awesome. uh, and that's you should a, go to see Bioridmo anyway. Exactly, right? exactly. Uh, yeah. there's a there's a chance there's rumors perhaps if we didn't even mention Spanish Harlem orchestra. Oh, no, I there's could, a maybe. chance uh, that some of those members might be sitting in with Bioridmo on Friday mm-hmm. night as well. You heard it here first. You're listening to Open Source RVA. Mm-hmm. I've been speaking with Greg Kimball, Tim Timberlake, and Todd Ranson. They sit on the Richmond Folk Festival's programming committee, and we've been talking about this weekend's big event. The festival is free, although donations to the Orange Bucket are appreciated, and it kicks off tonight along Richmond's downtown waterfront. For a full schedule of events and for detailed information on the performers, go to Richmond Folk Festival. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. See Thank you, you there. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. That's Open Source RVA for Friday, October 11th, 2013. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Dovey. My co-host is Don Harrison. Our producer is Jay Westerman. The Richmond Public Media News Team is Brittany Tracy, Cameron Vigliano, and Anafrio Castilla. And Mike McKenzie? He's where you ought to be, at the Richmond Folk Festival. Check the main stage where he'll be regaling audiences with his eclectic mix of Zydeco and emo music. Like open source? You should try liking us on Facebook or following us on Twitter. 
Also, feel free to visit our website at rvaopensource.com where this and other valuable and historically significant episodes of Open Source are available in convenient podcast form. While you're lingering, feel free to click on the Donate Now button. We need your support to keep this and other important Richmond public media shows on the air. See you next week right here for another episode of Open Source RBA. Bye.